Tonight we're going to return once more to the second chapter of Colossians. We're going to be looking tonight at some further thoughts about the Christian and his creed. The Apostle Paul here by inspiration sets out a defense of the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. This, of course, is part of that section of this particular epistle that is doctrinal. Chiefly, it is dealing with the doctrine of Christ. And we've already, in this passage, studied the words of Paul regarding the life that we must exhibit as believers. You can see that really from verses 1 through to 7. It closes out with the thought, verse 6, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. You have to live in a certain way because of the profession of Christ that you have made. You are to be rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. That's the life we must exhibit. Paul refers to the Lord whom we must exalt. From verse 9 down to verse 15. There is a wonderful statement of truth in verse 9 which we spent some time considering. It is to do with the deity of Jesus Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You have in that verse very clearly taught the humanity of Christ because it mentions bodily. But you have the deity of Christ, the Godhead, the Godhead bodily. So there's the God-man, the mediator, Jesus Christ, who is both God and man in two distinct natures and yet one person forever. And it is in Christ that Paul says we are complete. He goes on to speak about the Lord Jesus in his work and how that, as we finished up talking about last week, He actually has taken the handwriting of ordinances, the whole law of God that condemned us, and he has nailed the accusations to the cross. He's taken the condemnation of the law out of the way. He has removed that handwriting as far as its force in condemning us is concerned, and he has nailed it to the cross. And he has also spoiled principalities and powers. He has overcome the devil. He has overcome the powers of hell. He is like a Roman general who returning from victory in battle has a whole train of captives behind him and he's marching in triumph along with this train of captives behind him. Here's the victory of the cross. But in connection with this You'll notice what Paul has to say about certain lies that must be exposed. He's very keen to teach the Colossian believers about the dangers of false doctrine. He uses a word here that we're familiar with in the English language in chapter 2 verse 8. Beware. And you'll see again that he speaks in similar fashion later on in the passage. Beware. You know what it's meaning when it says on someone's garden gate, beware of the dog. It's a word of warning. And this is a word that the Lord Jesus Christ often used in his ministry if you study the Gospels. He was always telling men to beware. He actually said, beware of men. And beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Various words like that. The Lord is always warning the disciples. And Paul sees it as his duty here to warn the disciples of the Lord in this place, in Colossae, about false doctrine. About those who preach that false doctrine. You'll see in verse 8, he actually says... Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit or lies. You know there are men who call themselves ministers who tell lies. They do. They lie to their people. 
For example, they'll tell people that you can go to heaven by doing your best. Just do your best. Work as hard as you can. Pay your way in life. Be honest. Be good to your neighbor. And you'll go to heaven. That's a lie from the pit of hell. And there are various other lies that they teach. There are ministers who tell people that if you get baptized as an infant or even later on as an adult, like the Church of Christ does, the Campbellites, that that will take you to heaven. Baptismal regeneration. It's a lie. It's not true. Baptism does not save anyone. Never did. Never will. But there are men who teach that. There are churches that will teach their people all manner of falsehoods. Vain deceit. This is nothing new that Paul is talking about in the context here. You have to understand there was a local situation that he was dealing with. He was dealing with people uh, who were in Colossae known as Gnostics. Uh, Gnosticism was uh, a very common teaching in that day. And they had certain ideas about things that they taught. Uh, There was a whole mixture of Jewish legalism and heathen philosophy, uh, various teachings uh, that they jumbled together to form their system of doctrine. And Paul is exposing their lies in this portion. Notice from verse 16, he says something that's along the lines of beware, only this time it is, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink, and so on. Don't let people deceive you, is really what he's saying here. Let no man beguile you, it is in verse 18. Let no man beguile you. Don't be fooled. Don't let people pull the wool over your eyes doctrinally. The lies that must be exposed. I want us to think about three things concerning these lies that Paul deals with here. And first of all, we have to think about the source of these lies. What is the source of these lies? Beware, verse 8 says, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. Beware lest any man spoil you. Notice again, verse 18, let no man. Look at verse 16, let no man. There are men who teach falsehoods. And this is a note of warning sounded by the apostle regarding the teachings and the doctrines of men. Don't be deceived. Don't allow false doctrine and false teaching to lead you astray. He mentions the tradition of men in verse 8. And he says the doctrines of men further on in the passage as you notice what it says in the words in context. The doctrines of men. The teachings of men. The ideas of men. The prognostications of men. We must beware of men and their words. And again, we think about the warnings of Christ. Jesus used the same kind of terminology that the Apostle Paul used. For example, in Matthew 7 verse 15. The Lord Jesus said this, Beware of false prophets. He likens them to wolves, ravening wolves that come to you in sheep's clothing. They're deceivers. They deliberately deceive. They're false prophets. Again, in Matthew 10, verse 17, he puts it in a different way, but it's the same thought, but beware of men. Beware of men. That's exactly what Paul said. 
You'll see it again in Matthew 16, a verse that I referenced a few minutes ago, where he's talking about particular men, the Pharisees and the scribes. Matthew 16, verse number 6, he said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And they misunderstood what he was saying there. So the Lord, in verses 11 and 12, said, How is it that you do not understand that I speak it not to you concerning bread? not talking about literal bread, about leaven, about yeast. I'm talking about doctrine, that you should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. Then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. The lies posited by men. And when he was writing to the Philippians, in Philippians chapter 3 verse 2, Paul uses this similar terminology, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. Watch out for these people. And notice it's any man. Beware lest any man spoil you, says Colossians 2 verse 8. doesn't matter who he is. He might be a nice man. He might be a very plausible man. He might be a very genial man. But no matter who he is, beware lest any man spoil you. We've got to be so careful. We've got to examine everything by Scripture. You know, I noticed when Paul was leaving the elders of Ephesus there in Acts 20, he said in verse 28, Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. You need to watch out for your own hearts, but you also need to watch out for the flock of God to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Why? For I know this, For I know this, that after my departing, not while Paul was there, not while Paul was on, it wouldn't be on his watch that it happened, but Paul said, after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. That's the same kinds of people Jesus warned about. The ravening wolves, they come in sheep's clothing. That means you're going to be easily deceived, potentially. Because you're not watching out for them. Nobody's going to be afraid of a sheep. But you would be afraid of a wolf. So that's why the wolves come in sheep's clothing. So that you'll not be concerned. So that your guard will be down. This is the devil's work. Notice how he went on. For I know this, after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Talking about what's going to happen in the church. Those that will come in to lead them astray. Also of your own selves shall men arise. Not from outside, from inside. That's always a danger in the church of Jesus Christ. In any denomination, in any church. Not men coming in from the outside, but men who are already on the inside. Leading folks astray. What will they do? Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Beware of any man. That's why when Paul wrote to the Galatians, he put it like this. But though we, but though we are an angel from heaven, who's going to suspect an angel of teaching false doctrine? Who's going to be looking at an angel and thinking, well now he's going to preach a false gospel? Paul says it, but though we, Galatians 1 verse 8, though we, the apostles, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed, or the word is anathema in the Greek. Let him be damned in the lowest part of hell, is the idea. And then he says this, As we said before, so say I now again, 
if any man, there it is, any man, preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. I've heard people say about certain preachers, oh, well, surely he would never deceive you. He would never take you in a wrong direction. After all, he's always spoken the truth in the past. He's always going to be saying that which is right. And that's so dangerous. Because any man is capable of going astray unless the good hand of the Lord remains upon him. I know in the past I have referenced a minister in my home city called the Reverend Donald Gillies. Back in the 1960s, in the time of Vatican II and all the apostasy that was going on then, Donald Gillies, a Presbyterian minister in Belfast, wrote a book, a very good book that I have in my library. It's called Unity in the Dark. In that book he warned about the ecumenical Romeward trend that was taking place in Protestant churches. He warned about the whole development of the ecumenical movement and how that everything was moving in the direction of the Pope. All roads lead to Rome. That's what he warned about in that book. Before Donald Gillies died, he'd already had a priest of Rome preaching in his pulpit in the city of Belfast and was part of the ecumenical movement. And you say, how does that happen? How could that happen? Well, it did happen. And it's a warning. Beware of men. Doesn't matter who they are. Didn't the Lord say in His Word in Isaiah chapter 8 verse 20, If they speak not according to this Word, it is because there's no light in them. Examine it by the Scriptures. If it doesn't tally with the Word of God, it's to be rejected. Doesn't matter who brings the message. If it's not scriptural, it is to be refused. Matthew 24 verse 4, the Lord Jesus was talking to the disciples about the end times. And here's what he said. When they asked him, what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Jesus answered and said unto them, take heed that no man deceive you. There it is again. Beware of men. See, while it is true that the Lord uses men, the Lord employs men in His service, in the extension of His kingdom. The Lord uses men. So does the devil. The devil uses men. There's a warning in that little book, the book of Jude. I heard one preacher say, the Acts... The book of Acts is the Acts of the Apostles. The book of Jude is the Acts of the Apostates. And the book of Jude says in verses 3 and 4, It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Why? For there are certain men crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Certain men crept in unawares. My pastor used to talk about beware of the creepers. They creep in. And they start doing the devil's work by teaching falsehood. So the source of these lies is important for us to note. Beware of men. But then we notice the subtlety of these lies. See, the subtlety is that these things are introduced as if they were the teachings of God's Word. You know when you don't want children to touch a bottle of something that's poisonous? You put a warning label on it. And you put it way out of their reach. You're not going to put weed killer in a bottle that's used for soda. If you do, you're a fool. Because sometimes somebody will lift that and try to drink it and they'll die. 
You put warnings on poisonous bottles for a reason. And there are all sorts of warnings that you'll read on labels that are put on to certain things. Things that are not to be taken at certain times. You're not to drive a vehicle when you're taking this medication, etc., etc. But there's a problem if you label something as wholesome and good when in fact it's poisonous. Now, if you were to do that, I would say that you're not a very nice person to label something wholesome and good when in fact it's bad and would be damaging, even fatal to a person. The subtlety of the lies that we're being told that Paul's dealing with here is that these things were being introduced as if they were the teachings of God's Word. That's the subtlety of it. These people were coming and teaching this as if this was God's truth they were teaching. That reminds me of what the Savior said again in that passage in Matthew 24. In Matthew 24, uh, verse number 5, the Lord said, For many shall come in my name. They're not coming in some other name. They're not coming professing some other religion. He said, they're coming in my name, saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. And that's how they deceive people, because they claim to be from Christ. That's the deception of it. That's how they're able to get their false teachings into people, by claiming to be what they're not. Now you go back to Matthew chapter 7. In verse 22, the Lord gave a warning about that day of judgment. He said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? You could say preached in his name. And in thy name have cast out devils. And in thy name done many wonderful works. They profess to be doing it all in the Lord's name. And this, folks, is why we have to be on our guard. That's why the Colossian believers needed to be on their guard. There in Jude, verse 4, the reason is given for contending for the faith. I just read it to you. Why are we to earnestly contend for the faith? For, he says, there are certain men crept in unawares. In 2 Peter chapter 2, the Apostle Peter gives a warning in the first two verses of that chapter. 2 Peter chapter 2, the first two verses, but there were false prophets also among the people. He's referring to the children of Israel. Even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily, that means secretly, secretly, undercover, privately or privily, shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. The danger that Paul is identifying to the Colossians is that of the true faith being hijacked. That's really the literal idea here of the words in verse 8. Beware lest any man spoil you. Do you know that hijacking churches is Satan's work? How many good churches have been taken over and turned into bad churches through the ages? I used to minister, as you know, in Scotland. There are church buildings that I could take you to there where the ministers used to be some of the mightiest men in church history. But in those very congregations now there are men and sometimes women who don't believe the gospel and don't preach it. And you think to yourself, how did that happen? How did that happen? The devil introduces his own cuckoos to the nest. You know what a cuckoo is? It's a bird that doesn't build its own nest. 
it takes over other nests of other birds and drives them out. Drives out the authorized inhabitant of the nest and it takes over. Hijacking churches is Satan's work. And Paul is warning here about some who were trying to hijack the Colossian church. Take the church in a different direction. And bring the believers there into the bondage of ritualism and heathen philosophy. He states this in verse 4 of chapter 2. And this I say, this is the reason I'm writing it, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. There's that word again, beguile. The deception. Leading people astray. You see, these seducers presented very clever arguments. The word that's translated beguile in the King James Version means to declare unworthy of a prize. It was actually an athletic term among the Greeks where the umpire disqualifies the contestant because he has not obeyed the rules. And we know about this in the world of sports. Someone can be disqualified for a certain reason because they have not followed the rules of the race. Happened one time famously to a sprinter. I believe he was from Canada called Ben Johnson. He was a fantastic 100 meter runner. Ran like the wind. Problem is, he was taking drugs. PEDs they're called. Performance enhancing drugs. So they stripped him of the gold medal. And that gold medal was given to the guy who came second. Disqualified. These seducers were seeking to beguile the people of that congregation. The Lord, in his word, has given us warnings for a reason. And Paul here is speaking about seducers who were presenting clever arguments, who were using very persuasive words of philosophy that would be hard to argue with in a debate. Because they were so clever. And their purpose was to lead astray the weak and the unstable. Their purpose, and it's just like false prophets today, was to do three things. Number one, to deceive the flock. Number two, to divide the flock. And number three, to destroy the flock. That's the strategy. Deceive them. And because of that, you'll divide them, those who follow them, those who don't follow them, and you'll destroy them. The devil is nothing if he's not subtle. He is so clever. And Paul, when he wrote to the Corinthians, this is a really important scripture, in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 3, he said, But I fear, lest by any means... As the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety. There's that word again, beguiled. So your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. He said, I'm really afraid. I'm really afraid that you're going to have your minds turned aside, corrupted through false teaching. So we have the source of the lies, any man at all, evil men. We have the subtlety of these lies. And then, of course, we have to think about the substance of these lies. What was this all about? What were the lies that needed to be exposed in Colossae? Well, basically, they fall into three categories. Legalism, ritualism, and mysticism. Let me repeat that. Legalism. Ritualism and mysticism. Think about the first one. Legalism. Verses 16 and 17 of chapter 2. He says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat, drink, and holy day, the new moon, Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Legalism. This has to do with Judaism. See, the Jews 
had their feast days. You can read about those feast days in Leviticus chapter 25, over a number of feasts. They also had special new moon celebrations. You can read about that in Isaiah chapter 1. And verse 13, where Paul, or where the Lord by his Spirit was exposing uh, their outward worship that didn't have the heart within it. Someone said their religion was tied to the calendar. Now, of course, all of that had its proper place under the old dispensation, under the ceremonial and civil law of Israel. But this was not meant to be permanent. And it certainly was not meant to be in force in the New Testament. The Lord Jesus had come to fulfill the law of God. Now we've been dealing with the Ten Commandments on the Lord's Day morning. And you must remember that the moral law of the Ten Commandments is in force for all men in all ages. Though it is not in any way a means to salvation. But in connection with that law, in the law of Moses, the law of God for Israel, you had the civil law that had all the various laws relating to matters of everyday life. Just as we do, we have certain laws in the statute book that have to do with a number of different things. We have traffic laws. We have trade laws. We have laws to do with everyday life. What you're allowed to do, what you're not allowed to do, what you're permitted to do, what you're not permitted to do. Laws about property. Laws about property lines and all of that. You see that in the Mosaic law. That belonged to the civil law of Israel. Now, there was a connection with the moral law. Because you're not supposed to, in one instance, remove your neighbor's landmark. If somebody had a piece of land, they marked it off as their land with a marker. If you were to move that marker, that's a breach of the Eighth Commandment. Thou shalt not steal. So obviously the moral law impinges on the civil law. But the civil law is not something that applies today, though a lot of the principles in that law do apply in our society. But there were things that were for Israel as a theocracy, under God. But then there was the ceremonial law. And in that ceremonial law, you had some of these things that Paul is mentioning in Colossians 2 and verse 16. Let no man judge you in meat. What's that got to do with? Well, remember the dietary laws? We talked about this in the Pentateuch. Creatures that were clean, creatures that were unclean. You were allowed to eat certain birds, but you were not allowed to eat other ones. Certain animals you could eat, but you couldn't eat other ones. Those that had a cloven hoof, you could not eat them. If there were certain other things that were wrong, as far as God was concerned, they were considered to be an unclean beast, like the swine. They weren't allowed to eat pigs. All those dietary laws come under that. Meat, drink, in respect of an holy day, or the new moon, or of the Sabbath days. This is not talking about the weekly Day of worship, by the way. This is talking about ceremonial Sabbaths. There were some of those at the time of the Lord's death. Remember, they didn't want the bodies to be on the cross overnight into the next day. Why? Because that day was a high day. It was a particular Jewish Sabbath. It was not the weekly Sabbath. It was a ceremonial Sabbath that they regarded. But all of that was part of the shadow. All of that was part of the old ceremonial system. Now, it was right and proper in its place. The sacrificial system was that which they had to engage in because God commanded it. But the shadow passed away when the substance came. Christ is the substance. But the legalists, you'll find this in the book of Galatians as well, they taught that the ceremonial law had to be retained and it had to be practiced. And we've got people like that today. Not very far from where I live, there is a fellowship that meets in a church building. It's called something or other. Shabbat is on there. Uh, a Hebrew B-E-I-T congregation. You know when they meet? Saturday. They don't meet on the Lord's Day. They meet on Saturday. They're mired in the Old Testament. They're stuck in the Old Testament. They're stuck in the days of the ceremonial law. I don't know if they do in that congregation, but many of those messianic congregations, so-called, they will have the Passover and various other feasts 
and they'll sit down there and they'll have the unleavened bread and the lamb and all of that stuff and they do just exactly as the Jews do. And they'll even have an empty chair there for the Messiah. Do they not realize that Jesus has come? Do they not realize that Christ has risen? This was the problem with the Judaizers. They wanted the Old Testament ceremonial law to continue. And they added to that their own doctrines and their own commandments. See, Christ has come and fulfilled all the types and shadows. The old is gone, the new has come. Just study Galatians chapter 4 and you'll see this. In verses 9 and 10. Galatians 4, verse 9 and verse 10. But now after that you have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? Legalism. Ye observe days and months and times and years. What is that? It's the same problem that Paul was facing in Colossae. You look at Hebrews chapter 10. It begins in verse 1 this way. For the law having a shadow of good things to come. He's talking here about the ceremonial system. And not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. Nobody could ever get saved by that sacrificial system. Because as he outlines in the verses following, this is fulfilled by Christ. Let me give you an illustration. When a loved one is returning after a long trip overseas and you meet them at the airport, what do you do? You don't sit there on a seat with their photograph studying that picture. Right? You put the picture back in your wallet or your pocket and you go and you hug them. They're there. You don't need the photograph to remind you what they look like. This is what has happened. The Lord Jesus has already come. He has fulfilled the law of God. We don't, in that sense, study His photo. The shadow. Other than to realize that He has come. To realize that He has fulfilled the law. We think about these things that they were teaching there, this legalism meat and drink, clean and unclean meats, and holy day, the new moon, the Sabbath days, you read all about that in Isaiah chapter 1 and Leviticus chapter 23, the ceremonial observances, all of that, Paul says, belongs to the old economy. Jesus has come. Think of the directions about meat. Remember when Peter was praying on the housetop and the Lord brought this vision to him on this sheet there were all these different animals and of course it's a representation as well of the Gentile peoples they were not to be considered as unclean but it's interesting to look at the words there where Paul or sorry where where the Lord says to Peter rise Peter kill and eat I wonder what the animal rights people do about that Rise, Peter, kill and eat. You see these animals? You see that hog? You weren't allowed to eat that under the Old Testament. But now get your bacon and eggs out. It's good. You're allowed to do this. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy, every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Somebody told me one time, I'm on the Genesis chapter 3 diet, which is plant-based stuff. I said, I'm on the First Timothy 4 diet. Every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused. If you want to eat plant-based stuff, that's up to you. The things that I eat, eat the plants and I eat them. So my food is plant-based. But that's another story. Legalism. It's still with us today, by the way. There are people who would judge you according to eating and drinking. Make a religion out of food. Again, ritualism. That's the second one. Ritualism. Paul mentions this in chapter 2, verses 22 and 23. 
He mentions the commandments and doctrines of men. They're not from the Bible. They're not from God. They're made up by men. Ideas of men. Commandments and doctrines of men. Which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship and humility and neglecting of the body. What we call asceticism. Starving the body or or denying yourself things. Not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. Empty rituals and ceremonies. Forms of religious worship. Really, this fits into the category of modern Romanism. And it's all too easy for us, while we don't maybe go in for these things, still to become ritualistic in our worship. What do I mean by that? I mean going through the motions. You know what that's like. We come to church, we bow our heads at the right time, we sing the hymns at the right time, we listen to the preaching and all of that. But it's possible to just go through the motions. It's possible just to follow a form of outward worship. But without the heart. And folks, that's something we have to strive for all the time. That our hearts will be in our worship. When we sing the words of the hymns, that we mean this. We're singing to the Lord from our hearts. When we pray to the Lord, our hearts are fully engaged in that. Our minds are not a million miles away or thinking about other things. Our hearts are engaged in the worship of our God. We want to meet with Him. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15, from verse number 7, something that really applies in every age. Matthew 15. From verse 7 to verse 9. Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoureth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Ritualism. Oh, that the Lord would save us from that. Whether it be the ritualism of false religion or just the ritualistic way in which we practice true religion. But there's one other thing and it's this. The substance of these lies had included not only legalism and that of course ultimately is the idea that you can reach God by works or ritualism but mysticism. Now what's mysticism? Well, let me just explain that in chapter 2, verse 8, Paul talked about philosophy. That was a big thing among the Greeks, philosophy. You've heard of Socrates and Plato and others of that kind. Great philosophers among the Gentiles, the Romans, among the Greeks as well. Paul encountered people there in Athens who were known as the Epicureans and the Stoics. They were philosophers. They had ideas about things and it entered into their religious worship. But again, chapter 2, verse 18 goes further. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshipping of angels intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. This is referring to mysticism. It involved the worshipping of angels and the cult of the mystery religions. That's what he means by intruding into those things. The teaching was that after a period of mystic preparation, a person would be ready to step into, quote-unquote, the secret. They were initiated. This intruding was the final step into the inner shrine of this religious worship. And the person then became known as an initiate. And that's how a person became a fully-fledged member of the Gnostic sect. It was all very mysterious. Mysticism. 
And this religion really involved trying to gain perfection by willpower, by the exercise of your own mind, and at the same time punishing your body by the practice of asceticism, denying yourself food and denying yourself certain luxuries and so on. Mysticism. And Paul showed that this false religion was a total lie and that it was furthermore totally inconsistent with the Christian profession. You see in verse 19, he indicts them in this way and not holding the head, capital H. They didn't have the proper view of Christ They didn't have the proper regard for Christ. The one who is the head from which all the body by joints and bands having nourishment ministered and knit together increaseth with the increase of God. We are the body of Christ and we received and we receive our nourishment from the head. But here's something that applies to all those who fall for false doctrine, whether it's mysticism or some other aspect of false religion. They fall for it. They're taken in by it because they don't hold a right and proper view of the head. I believe it was J.A. Alexander who said to his students at Princeton before they would graduate, each one of them in turn, young man, always hold the very highest views of Christ. Always entertain the very highest views of Christ. We need to watch out for anything that denigrates Christ, that ever brings Christ down from his position to a lower position. We need to cling to Christ the head because we're members of the body, the church. We're not to be led astray from Christ in whom we are complete. See, this is the problem with false religion. Instead of saying you're complete in him, they say you're not complete. You need something else in order to gain the favor of God. It may be this, that, or the other thing, but it has the net effect of causing you to have a lesser view of Christ than you ought to have. See, to the believer, Christ is all. As the little chorus puts it, he is my everything. He is my all. He is my everything, both great and small. He gave his life for me. He made everything new. He is my everything. But how about you? Is Christ all to you? Is he everything to you? As we have received Christ Jesus the Lord, Paul says we are to walk in him rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as we have been taught. Always careful to beware lest any man spoil us through philosophy and vain deceit. May the Lord save us from the doctrines and commandments of men, from the folly of those who would take us away from the truth. You know, in recent decades, There has been what appears to be something new. It became known in some circles as the Auburn Theology. Sometimes described as the new perspective on Paul. Various ideas, and I'm talking about within the Reformed community, ideas that have arisen about justification. And when you go wrong on that subject, you're going to go wrong everywhere. You've got people teaching, as John Piper has, a doctrine which is a false doctrine called final justification. And I don't want to get into that tonight. But it's a heresy. It is so easy for people who are otherwise sound to be led astray into false doctrine and for people to follow after them. They gain disciples. May the Lord help us always to be vigilant, to always be aware, and to remain, to remain by the stuff. 
Some years ago, and I'll finish with this, Mr. Harold Camping of Family Radio began to move further and further and further away from an orthodox position in regard to many things. And I remember listening to him foolishly when I had nothing else to do when he would be on a program called Open Forum where he answered questions. And he used to say something like this, you'll not read this in any book and you'll not hear this from your pastors. And I remember thinking, whatever's coming now is not orthodox. You know why? Because there is no new doctrine. There is no new doctrine. And when someone tells you, I have got this new doctrine that nobody else has ever thought of, I'm going to tell you, first of all, someone has already thought of it, because there's nothing new under the sun. But I can also tell you, it's heresy. And it's going to lead you away from the truth. There's a body of doctrine that cannot be added to. Now, can I read my Bible and all of a sudden the light comes on and I see something I never saw before? Absolutely. That happens to me all the time. I think, I never thought of that. I never really saw that before. But you know the problem? The problem's not that it wasn't there. The problem is I'm so dense I didn't see it. But it was there all along. It's not a new doctrine. Maybe new to me, but it's not new. It's part of that body of truth that God has already given. Help us, Lord, I would say, to hold by the truth. Not to depart from it. And as my pastor used to say regularly to the people, if someone ever comes along to inhabit this pulpit, who preaches another gospel, you have my permission to come up here and pull him down from the platform. We don't want false teaching to be going forth from a Bible teaching pulpit. May the Lord help us. For his name's sake. Amen.